Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, as promised, we're here with Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves. She's going to go over some book superlatives with us. We're going to um, do our book club discussion on Waiting for Eden by Elliot Ackerman. And we're also going to announce an exciting project that we're looking forward to from Sarah. So I think we're going to get started with our superlative show. That way, if you have not read Waiting for Eden, you know, after we've discussed the superlatives, you can jump off so that you don't spoil yourself. If you've read the book, you can listen in on our discussion. And if you decide that you want to read it later on, then you can always jump back and and take a listen to what we had to say. So, Sarah, welcome back to the Readerly Report. Thank you. I'm I'm liking this new routine we have going. I know. It's so much fun. So much (laughs) fun to catch up with you. It is. And uh, I think this is going to be a fun show in order to talk about our book superlatives. Um, Superlatives are my favorite. Yeah. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, Gail and I gave, I guess, an overall our top 10. But I think the superlatives can really bring out some fun stuff. And we're going to have to revisit our um, top 10s, Gail, because I've read a few more books and you've read a few more books. So we we might want to make a few revisions. So let's jump right in. I guess, with the superlatives, and then we can talk about Sarah's project, and then we will get into our book club discussion. Gail, do you want to start us off? Sure. Well, actually, hold on. (laughs) What has everyone been reading, Uh, or what's everyone reading? (laughs) Yes. Can't get by without that. Um, I'll start with that. So I, my my week of nonfiction has had mixed results. So um, last week, I think I told Nicole, I was going to do dual uh, nonfiction audio and print. And for whatever reason, I just haven't really been gotten into the print. And it's not that I don't like it. It's just, it's, I'm just realizing that for me, like I need a story to really get into it. And if that's all I have going, then I will tend to turn my mind towards other things. So I started reading the four, which is the book about Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple. And I like it. But I, and I will keep reading it. But last night I picked up and immediately like read more pages of that book than I had ever read of the four. Um, Lisa Halliday's Asymmetry. Have you guys read that this year? Oh, I'm, that's one of the books that I'm working on. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but it's on so many best books of 2018 lists that I feel like I need to at least research. All right. Well, it. I'll report back once I've, I, I read like the yes. first 15 pages last night or 20 pages. I don't know. I liked it. So, so far, it's grabbing me. Um, it's sort of the story. It's like a loose... I know it starts out as sort of a loose version of um, this young... Is she an intern or she's like... Yeah. She's just getting her start working. She's also trying to write and she's dating this Philip Roth-esque character. Right. Much older, celebrated And I writer, think the woman yeah. who wrote the book actually dated Philip Roth. Oh, Interesting. I think so. I think she was like one of his uh, mentees or she had an affair with him. 
So is that character portrayed positively or negatively in the book? I, I haven't gotten far enough yet, to I guess. know yet. Um, That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, he's a mixed bag. He's definitely an older <laughs> man with a younger woman. <laughs> yeah, of course. Definitely in- influential, I would say. All right, and then on audio, I'm listening to Ray and Joan, which is the story of Ray Kroc, the uh, guy who brought McDonald's to the masses, and his wife. I'm about halfway done, and uh, it's pretty good. I like that one. That's holding my attention pretty well. So I just have to say, I think for me, I always have to have some fiction going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless it's narrative nonfiction. Unless it's narrative nonfiction, right. I think business nonfiction while interesting, it's just, I can put that down way too easily. That's audio only for me. That, that type of nonfiction, I only listen to on audio. Maybe I should have swapped those two. Done Ray and Joan on. Yeah, Ray and Joan seems like it would be more of a story. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I'm interested in that one. Although there's a fair amount of business in that one too. I mean, the first half of the book is much more about Ray than it is about Joan. It's about sort of how he... Empire you know, building. Yeah, like how he sort of stuck with it. I mean, I, I always thought that he founded the first McDonald's and that it was in um, Illinois, which is where he lived. But in fact, McDonald's was founded by two brothers in San Bernardino, California. And Ray basically like partnered with them after they'd already been in business for like six years. So there's a lot of like misconceptions around him. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah it's a misconception. I mean, he, listen, he like is the one who took it public it and is. franchised it and bought those guys out. But like, yeah. he was not the original brainchild and he's a very complicated and flawed person. So it's interesting. Oh, I really want to read this now. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I, like I love it. like big time business people that are weirdos and like a lot going on beneath the surface and all that yeah he fits the bill for that okay what do you guys definitely never run out of that stuff to read sarah (laughs) no 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 i feel like for all the the big people it's par for the course like if you're not a weirdo i feel like to get to that point in life and to sacrifice what you have to sacrifice to get there there's got to be some a few screws loose up there right all right what do you guys okay so sarah Okay, so I am doing my annual backlist bonanza. That's kind of interesting. Ooh, is that what December is? (laughs) Um, Yeah, early December, I read all backlist, and then like late December, I'll start reading 2019 releases. But um, right. So I, what I've just finished reading is Silver Sparrow by Tiari Jones. It's so good, y'all. Yes, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I I think I read it because of you, Gail. Didn't you mention it recently? Uh, did I mention Silver Sparrow? Possibly. I might be attributing this by accident. No, I but. might have. Um, I, I read mean, we both read ago. it and loved it. Yeah, didn't we? Um, yeah, we, we, I loved had it a, just, my online book club she, once. Yeah, you had an online book club and we read it for that. Yeah. I love that book. You know, what I love about that book is because, you know, sometimes I get tired. There's always this formula of, oh, there's this secret and you're going to discover it. I love right. that that book just drops a bomb on you in its in, first like paragraph. Like first paragraph. Yeah, first sentence. It's like my and dad's then it's big of it. still a compelling story. <laughs> oh yeah, it's. It, I thought it was just as good as American Marriage. Yeah, she's um, good. Anyway, I really loved it. I'm so yeah. glad I went back to read that. And then uh, before that, I had tried Olive Kitteridge um, by Elizabeth Strout, who which we had talked about on a previous episode, either of this podcast or something else we'll talk about later. Um, by Elizabeth Strout and. It won the Pulitzer, and I I did not finish it. Oh, you didn't Ooh. finish it? 
Interesting. How now, long did it take you? Uh, tr- I got to 28%, I mm-hmm. think. That's pretty and good just, for you. I know it is, right? <laughs> I just, well, I think I pushed forward because A, it was short, and B, it was, you know, so lauded, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that it's told in little vignette type chapters and you know, one of the chapters will center on a character in this small town that is in some sort of relation to Olive. And then the next chapter will be from about one of the characters that maybe was mentioned one time in the previous chapter, but you might have even even forgotten that mention. And I just spent probably the first, I don't know, 40% of every chapter kind of orienting myself. Like, who is this? What's their relation to Olive? What's their role in the town? And by the time I got into that person's story, it was over and on to the next one. Sarah, did you read A Little Life? Uh, yes, I did. And I loved that. Huh. <laughs> but you know what? I had, to, I had to take notes in the beginning on who was who and all the stories. Yeah, that's what I told Gail, that it, it starts out, it's like four college age men. And there were, I mean, even though there are racial and, and background differences that become apparent and... They develop their personalities. It takes a while to know who you're talking about and who has what relationship with each other. I totally agree about that one. Yeah. Um, I liked um, Olive Kittredge, and I actually liked that that construct where she sort of threaded all these, you know, so many disparate characters in that small town together. Um, so I should go back. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it, you know, what works for me might not work for you. Right. Have you read anything else by her? Yes, and I've loved everything I've else everything else I've read by her. I loved My Name is Lucy Barton, and that was the first thing by her that I'd read. And I loved Anything is Possible, which was the follow up, and it had the same sort of construct. Yeah. I did not I like don't know. I didn't like Lucy Barton. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did. It, I don't know. It I did it on audio and it was into, a terrible but... narrator and I wonder if that's oh, okay. part of it. That's I did not do that on audio. Yeah. That's not, not a book I could have done on audio. But I have Anything is Possible and I want to read it. I generally like her. I've read some of her earlier stuff too, like Amy and Isabel I really liked. And there was another one and I tried to forget, try to remember what it was called. Something about like. So does she have like five or six books? Yeah. I think so. There's or even one. more. Do you know that she has a sequel to Olive Kittredge coming out in September? Yes, I do. So that's why I picked it up because I was like, I want to be ready for the sequel. And wasn't now it HB- like, oh, didn't they know. do an HBO series yes, on it? Yeah, they with did. Uh, what's her face? Um, the woman from Fargo. I'm just I can see. Oh, Frances McDormand. Thank you. Yeah, just blanking on her name. Um, who was also in um, Three Billboards, which she was so good in. Um, I'm just I'm looking up to see. The names of the other Elizabeth Strauss that I read. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say maybe to pick it up again, but you know, it's it's an understated book, and Olive Kittredge herself is kind of a cold character, so you may not actually see much change. She, she intrigued me though, Olive, but I do feel like she wasn't in a lot of the chapters that I was reading. I was like, I want more of her. Yeah. And and, and Gail, you're you're gonna fall out of your chair right now, but I I don't even I'm scared to say this. I felt the same way about Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Oh, really? Really? Like you? you yeah, because I loved, I loved the main character, that girl. I can't even remember her name now, but I felt like she disappeared from the book pretty early on, and then didn't reappear until the very end. I was like, I, w- I wanted just kind of her story. Mm, interesting. So maybe this is not the, it's not the structure for you. Because I thought I would love it the first few chapters, and then I was like, where has this gone? Yeah. That book took such an interesting turn early on that I did not get past. Which one? And I'll say this and edit it out. You know, once the dad disappears. Oh, see, I don't even remember that. Ha- oh, yeah, no, I do remember that happening. Wait, okay. in what book? 
In kitchens? Kitchens. Kitchens. Wait, Nicole, you read it? <laughs> no, I didn't finish it. I started it. She's been lying to you this oh entire time. God. She's scared to, scared to tell you. Oh, my God. No, I mean, yeah, I started yeah, a dies. while ago. Yeah, he but dies I in think, the first chapter. Um, wow, did I not get past the first chapter? <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of like the whole point is like his legacy for her is his, Cooking. you know, that she spends her whole life feeling like she doesn't belong because she gets adopted by her um, ma- her dad's brother's I don't know. Like she's adopted by these people who are like very uncultured and not into food at all, but they don't tell her that she's adopted till much, much later. She figures it out. So there's sort of like this theme of that, this disconnection she's had and like her lack of identity for a while. So the the fact that the father disappears actually plays a role. Yeah. I think I was reading a bunch of things at the time, so I couldn't really focus on it, which is why I put it aside. Um, So I, I don't know. Like I, I could report back and, and be like, I felt the same way as Sarah did, or I could say I really loved it. It was yeah. too soon for me to tell. Yeah. I read the whole thing. I didn't quit on it. And I did appreciate the way it came together at the end and how everything sort of, oh, now it all makes sense. But I sort of like a reading experience where things are making sense as we go. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like know. the mystery I, I of that. Frustrated. Like you're wondering, how are these people going to end up being connected? All right. We yeah, see, I get, get frustrated to... with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're, you've given up on yep. Olive Kittredge. Um, and I have one audiobook going, um, which is How to Be Married by Joe Piazza, who wrote most recently Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. Mm-hmm. I really like that book. I loved that book. I thought it was great. And that was the first book I've heard of hers that I'd read. Not and Charlotte thought, Walsh, How to Be Married. Oh, 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 got it, got it. I liked Charlotte Walsh. I am liking How to Be Married. It's interesting. It's nonfiction. It's sort of a memoir of her first year of marriage, but also a travel log and also sort of some research into marriage cultural norms in different countries. Like she and her husband travel all over the world looking into – how people do marriage in various places Nicole, and then apply like, that to their own marriage. I feel like this was on your TBR a while ago. Like, did I'm you sure I discussed it? it because I read it. Yeah. Cause you, but it was like, I don't think you had read it yet. I think you were interested in reading it. Like I, I just remember you, I remember learning about it from you. I think I had discussed it on the show. Yeah. <laughs> it was a while. I mean, but that was not her. I mean, that was like a year ago or probably, that came out when we first started the podcast, so it's not like it needs to be. Yeah, it's fresh definitely backlist in your. Memory. I'm not sure how. Yeah. Long it's a couple ago. of years, but I'm enjoying it. I'm about halfway through right hmm. now. I like her. I like her personality. I feel like we could be friends. Wow, the reviews are amazing on Goodreads. I'm just looking at it right now. Or when Amazon. did it come out? Um, yeah, 2017. I think the yeah. beginning part of 2017. Yeah, that looks good. All right, Nicole, how about you? What are you reading? So I'm reading Good and Mad by Rebecca Treister. I think I was reading that last time. So I don't know. It's kind of slow going. I think I was reading a bunch of these books about I don't the depressing state of the United States and politics. Like I was reading American Prison and this one at the same time. I have about 100 pages. It's definitely an... Um, a worthwhile book to check in and interesting to look at women's movements over the years, you know, 
and how women's anger is viewed and how that has either changed how it's been received over the centuries and what women have done in terms of claiming that anger and using it as a political tool and force. So it's really good, but it can be heavy at times. I feel like I'm not reading it particularly fast because it's the holiday season. And I don't know that it's the perfect book for me to be reading right now, but it's definitely a good worthwhile read. And I just finished this book that's not going to come out until May of 2019. It's called The Farm by Joanne Ramos. And it's sort of like... Ooh, I read about this. I have that one on my Kindle. I cannot wait to hear about it. Enjoyed it. Like I really oh, enjoyed good. it. Yeah. I read it quickly. Like I picked it up. Good. <laughs> I didn't I like read quickly. it in one day, Gail, but I did pick <laughs> it up you know one morning and I was finished. That'll mean with it'll it. take me like four days. Is this, yeah. Is this the one about um the where, where women go to have a baby that like a perfect baby but they can't leave once they get there? Or am I thinking of something different? Um I can't remember. That's terrible. I have is, it, but I can't remember. No, it's about it's it is it follows a, multiple perspectives, and it is about women who are hired to have babies for for very wealthy. They're the surrogates for very wealthy people, and they go and they are sequestered for the nine months that. Um, they are pregnant, or maybe it's not nine months. I think they have to figure out once the baby has taken. So maybe six weeks into their pregnancy, they are brought to this place. You know, it's supposed to be this idyllic place where they can relax and exercise and eat all the right foods and be monitored. But, you know, what is the cost of that? Like, what is the cost of you will have an enormous amount of money when you finish this, like there's bonus incentives tied in for meeting certain goals along your pregnancy. But, you know, even for that little bit of time, what is the cost of giving up your freedom, you know, like being separated from your family? And is there anything sinister involved in this? And I think this book was really interesting, because like I said, lots of different perspectives. So, you know, you get one woman whose job is to run this clinic and you see how she's basically running this organization while she's planning for her wedding. You know, one woman is uh, has recently immigrated to the United States and what her relationship is like with her baby's father and how she comes to be in this situation. And then you also have sort of like um, the daughter of someone who is more privileged and what her relationship, you know, like how she views being a surrogate. So it's like you have all of these different cross sections of of a population in this, interacting in this environment. It was really good. I'm excited for that one. That sounds interesting. Unique. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has those shades of anything that's, I guess, dystopian centered around pregnancy, red, you know, like a Handmaid's red clock, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. But I think this is sort of more geared towards like having these new technologies and are we really ready for them? Like what are the choices that we're making it out also of sounds all a that's bit, possible? It sounds a little bit like um, Ann Patchett's State of Wonder. Have you read oh, I didn't that? I read that one. Yeah, I did. It, it's these 
this is it, it is a tree sap or something like that that's found in the Amazon that can enable women to get pregnant at any age. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then sort of all the implications of that. It's, it's a little bit in the same vein of you know ex- experimenting with pregnancy and technology, and then oh, actually, what is what are the real implications of this technology and that you don't think of and the like humanitarian implications, I guess. Right. This one looks a little bit into the socio, you know, sociopolitical and economics of these women's lives, which is what, what's interesting too. And, you know, like, I mean, just all the pitfalls of, of a dystopia, you, you go into right. it with the highest ideals, but somehow we always manage to mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to some to some some perlatives. We have each come up with a list of about ten or so um, best, worst, most categories that are a little unusual, and um, but we shared them beforehand, and so we each have a few to add to each other's. So what we're going to do is we're just going to each will just go around and we'll each pick a, a category and say what it is and what the book we picked. And then if others have ones they want to add, they'll add them on as well. All right, Gail, start us off. Okay, so I started with the book that most benefited unwittingly or unintentionally from timing. And that is The Female Persuasion, which came out in the height of Me Too, when I don't think it was actually written to be a, quote, Me Too book because Me Too hadn't really happened yet. But good for Meg Wolitzer, who hit the zeitgeist at the exact right time. I second that superlative. <laughs> I second that. And I, but I, I have also, one to add, too. <laughs> I know the one that Sarah's adding, and I'm seconding yeah. that, too. Yeah. I also think an American marriage is really, yeah. yes. really timely, and, and that is why it is just everywhere, and people are resonating with it so much. Yeah. I also feel, though, that American marriage could have been timely three years ago as well. Oh, yeah. it's timely three years ago. It'll be timely next Yeah, week. exactly. That's the depressing yeah. thing about that book. <laughs> it's always yeah. timely. Well, I will add I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. And it, it actually, the timing that she benefited from was after the book was published. And I think, was it weeks after or like a month after it's a, it was it's a, a couple crime. months i feel like okay it's true crime about the east area rapist or the golden state killer he's been called both and he was a serial killer slash rapist that was striking in california in the 70s and had had still to this day never been caught and literally a few weeks month months whatever it was after the book was published they got a suspect and he's in prison. I think it's James D'Angelo or something like that is his name. And he's an old man now and had just been – he was an ex-cop and mm-hmm. had just been laying low all these years. That is just so interesting. He's an ex-cop because that guy was he's such an ex-cop. a weirdo. And remember in the book, they talked about – the profilers thought that, that whoever was doing this wasn't had some sort of law enforcement background right? based on – the crime scenes and how they were happening and that kind of stuff. But that book's been everywhere this year. Yes. Well, I mean, I think that that book, I mean, it did, like you said, months later, we get the full story and I don't think that it was anyone she had even concentrated on. That book was always going to 
get so much attention because, because of the she, fact that she died before yep. she finished it. Yep. And her husband's pretty big in Hollywood. And yes. And he helped finish the book. And right. there's actually a short podcast series about the making of the book. That's like three oh, episodes really? long. Oh, I'll have to find that. Of the same name. I'll be gone in the dark. Oh, okay. This was a book that I could not read at night. Nope, me neither. And you know what I read at night while I was reading I'll Be Gone in, in the Dark in the Day? <laughs> I read Bachelor Nation at night. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have to have that yes, that's pal- good. You know, complete change of mindset. Yeah, no, definitely do not read this at night. You will not sleep. <laughs> um, okay, next category, guys. Sarah? Yep. You have one oh, for us? my turn. Yes. Um, I'll go with Most Dysfunctional Family because I love dysfunctional family novels. And I've actually got a fiction and a nonfiction pick for this. My, and they're probably pretty obvious, the nonfiction one is at least. Um, my fiction pick is <laughs> The Witch Elm. Educated, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so we'll go with nonfiction first. Educated by Tara Westover. Woo! <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just can't even... So with that book, the interesting thing about it, and I've discussed it with people who have read it, is I think that there's so much more to her story that she's not telling. Just the vibes that I got between her and her brother, so creepy. Now, do you mean like she's telling only the bad parts or? No, I don't mean that she's telling the worst parts that she's not telling. I think that there's worse parts that she's not telling. Okay. There is a weird vibe with her and her brother. I yes, like. there is. I just felt like yeah. that there was something else going on, whether she, I mean, she, you know, and the story is awful enough as it is. It's not like right. you need to add more awful, yeah. but just That's reading like between can't. the lines of their relationship, I just felt like it was just, we could have heard much, much worse. Yeah. And then there, I'm, I don't want to, I'm thinking of like a couple specific parts of the book, but I don't, I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't read it to say it on air but I mean there were some things that her father did that I was just blown away by right just health and injury and all that stuff it was completely crazy insane completely I haven't insane. read this yet I need to read this book you haven't read educated no, oh man I okay know. so I'm gonna stop talking about things that happened in oh, the book that's right okay now. I know I need to read it <laughs> um I don't know how I don't have something to add to most dysfunctional family because that's basically all I read. I know you love them. I know. I you know what I would put in there. What about the other woman? Oh, nah. I don't think I'd put that as a dysfunctional family. That's more. Uh, I'm not going to say any more about that one because there's okay. I don't want to give it away. You know what I put in there, and you may take issue with this, but because the entire book is about the dysfunction of this family, um, uh, a place for us because. I think that that book is really all about the dysfunctional no, that's relationship that's like with the son. Dysfunction. Yeah. I, did, I didn't get far enough to know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> finish that. Um, I would put that yeah. under uh, – that's going to be my pick for most dysfunctional – most memorable dysfunctional family I read yeah. about this year. Mine is probably Mike's family and our kind of cruelty. Is that by Era Araminta Hall? Yes. Okay. I didn't I even think I've discussed this about. on the podcast. I finished it. I don't know, maybe a month ago. So our kind of cruelty is about this. Well, I don't know. Everyone, the families in that relationship are dysfunctional, but it is about this dysfunctional relationship that a man has with his girlfriend. And they, they engage in these games that they call crave where 
he will go and make out with someone. No, I mean, she will go and like flirt with someone. And then he, when he gets the sign from her, he jumps in and stops it, usually with violence, like by beating the other person up. So the book starts when he is in jail and he's telling, we don't know why, but he's telling the story of their relationship. And he seems to think that they are still playing this crazy game that they have all always played, even though she's engaged. So it's all about figuring out just what's going on. Are they really playing this game? You know, is this something that they're still engaging in? Is there some hidden romance that we're missing? Or has he just gone off the deep end? Did you like that book? And he has a dysfunctional family. Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, enjoy is probably not the word I would use, but it was definitely an interesting psychological study of Mike and what's going on in that relationship. And I think the author's ending and, and how it speaks to social issues or bigger issues around things was, was very interesting, even though I know a lot of people sort of conflicted about that ending, but it was an interesting book to read. It was on my list and I just never got to it, but it does sound like something I would like the darker and more messed up, the better. Oh yeah. Super dark. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'll add the witch elm too, to this category by Tana French. Oh, definitely. The witch elm. Lots of backstabbing going on there. That book was so crazy. I just finished it. So crazy. Yeah. Over the weekend, I think. Oh, okay. Just finished it. Yeah. All right. Your like turn, Nicole. All right, we'll move on. Okay. I don't want to... I'm trying to think. So mine, this is really easy. I know... I feel like this is the book that will be most given as a gift this season, Becoming by Michelle Obama. Everyone, I feel like, is reading it or has asked for it for Christmas. <laughs> I can attend. They said that, they said that that book has sold more than any other book this year, and it's two million only been out. in the first week. Uh, yeah, I, I was think just going to say it, if you it heard was of, you heard the, the sales first figures, day. It sold first. more books. It sold like seven hundred twenty-five thousand books the first day it was out. I can attest to that because I um, every holiday season I volunteer to wrap books at Politics and Prose here in DC. It's a fundraiser for the Washington Literacy Council. So the store provides the wrapping paper and then volunteers wrap the books. And then people who buy the books pay a dollar to have them wrapped and it goes to the Literacy Council. So I did it uh, on Sunday at the store. And I can't tell you how many copies of, of uh, Becoming I wrapped. <laughs> so I what was the second? Right. What um, What's, what's were, the runner up? Let's see. I would say maybe a gentleman in Moscow still being bought by a lot of people. Educated was on there too. Um, this being Washington, there was also a lot of like nonfiction stuff in there too. Uh, right. Yeah. Were the Trump books on there like Fear, Fear. and I didn't the see James any of Comey those. book? I didn't see any of those. I was kind of glad. Oh, interesting. Um, huh. Everything I never know. Uh, I don't think I never told you. Little Fires Everywhere. That I wrapped a few of oh, those. Oh, still? Too. Yeah. And I was trying okay. to, because like, I didn't like that book, so I was trying not to say anything. Yep. Well, Little Fires Everywhere is going to be a, an HBO series, so. Uh, so oh. that will sustain for a while then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, Michelle's book like, definitely stood out as the most commonly purchased book for the two hours on Sunday that I was there wrapping books. I'll go with kind of my most recommended, a little bit of, of a spin on this title uh, i mean on this category and that is where the crawdads sing 
by mm. Delia Owens. And I just yeah, feel that like was everywhere. It, it was everywhere. It was a Reese, Reese Witherspoon book club choice. I think it just got optioned. The, the film rights just got optioned. And the reason that I personally have been recommending it to so many people is it's one of those novels that it's not going to – it's palatable to most people. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not there, – there's not massively dislikable characters. The plot moves pretty fast. The writing's gorgeous. I mean, I thought the writing was there. I loved it. Um, there's a kind of a love triangle, which I don't normally love, but randomly it worked for me in this case. And I I put it on my holiday gift guide as sort of my number one go-to fiction pick for, for somebody that you want to give a book to that you're not entirely sure about their reading taste. I asked hmm. for that for Hanukkah based on your recommendation, and I have it in my oh, house. Good. I'll be I, interested to see if you like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard such good things about it, so. Yeah. And if you liked One Day in December, which I have not gotten to yet, but from what I hear about it, I think you'll you'll be okay with like the love triangle angle. Oh, yeah. I don't mind love triangles. And, yeah. I think you'll be fine with it. I think you'll like it. Good. Okay. So I have a book that made me feel stupid. So <laughs> I love this category, by the way. <laughs> I have something to add to. <laughs> so I read this book in the spring or last winter called Bobcat and Other Stories. And I was like, I, I could not understand what was going on. It was, I didn't even remember who wrote it. But there, were, there was like one story that opened in a dinner party and that one I was like, could vaguely follow. And then the rest of them just went off the rails for me. And I sort of forced myself to just like read them, but I didn't absorb them or understand them. And then the worst part was like, I posted this review. I was like, I didn't get this book. And all these people I know were posting under it. Like, I loved it. I thought it was so good. Oh, like, no. Then you really did feel stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is wrong with me that I can't understand this book? Clearly, yep. that author and I do not uh, do not see eye to eye. <laughs> but I do not recommend Bobcat on other stories. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she tried to get me to read it to see if I understood it. Did I really? <laughs> yes, you did. You didn't um, fall for that, did you, Nicole? I didn't. Okay, good. good. Yeah, avoid. <laughs> I'll add Circe by Madeline Miller to this category. I, think I felt like I was Nic- back in high school. Nicole, you liked that one, right? I ended up liking it. I mean, I like mythology. I still, I just, I don't, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it. I'm not like, there's so many people who are just. That loved it. That really loved it. And yeah, I didn't love it. It Here's was just, I, felt, sorry, I think the construction of it, it was just, it need, I just felt like we didn't get to her story fast enough. And then because in parts there were of her, so many other stories, right? The random space. little gods and goddesses. Yes. And so I mean, you have oh. to really, and I think too, this book made me realize that maybe I don't love. I love certain stories of mythology, but I think I just don't like as many of the random gods as I thought I did. <laughs> random <Yeah>. gods. <laughs> That's why I felt so stupid. Was because a there were so many random gods in there that I I just I don't remember at all from high school. I don't care I don't know I don't feel I don't want to have to go google all these gods to be able to follow the score the story and then secondly yeah there's too many characters too many tangential stories I couldn't keep track of any of them and everybody else seemed to have a fine time keeping track of all this yeah and then there were certain parts of Cersei's story that I just felt like were not interesting she's exiled to this island so part of it is her becoming herself so she's always 
you know, she's a witch. So she's, she's a very, it's making, she's a human witch. She's like a very physical witch as opposed to a God witch. So she's like always, I don't know, like looking for herbs and stirring pots and, you know, cleaning her house. And I was like, really? I feel like she's on this island and basically men somehow get washed up on her shores, various men, and she has affairs with them and that's it. (laughs) Yeah. She gets to escape once and have like one. Yeah. That's the one part of the book I liked. I liked the like. Right. When she gets to interact with multiple people. (laughs) Right. Not just the man that washed up on the island. Right. That week. That's true. There were lots of men washing up on. I mean, that's how she gets into all this trouble in the first place. This, um, this dude kinds of, she runs into this human who sort of washes up on her shores and she falls in love with to, you know. Yep. And I can't even remember that particular God. To nothing good. Well, he wasn't a God initially. Oh, he wasn't a God. Okay. Yeah. Just some dude who became a God. This was also the book that I finished solely so I could review it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and y'all, I never do that. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised. I mean, that was a, that was a pretty long book for you. It you know. was such a slog. Sarah pulls a trigger at 10 pages. <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I do. So the book that made me feel stupid, which I enjoyed anyway, was Stephen King's Elevation because I just spent so much time trying to wrap my head around the fact that this dude was losing weight and he could tell that he was losing weight, but no matter what, when he got on the scale, it always said the same thing. So he, no, I don't, I don't even know. I can't, he was like losing weight without losing mass, which That'd just, it just wrecked, the loony bin. it just wrecked my brain because he would step on the scale. Oh yeah. The scale was always going down. I don't know. I can't even explain it. He was losing weight without losing mass. And he would step on the scale and he was always losing weight, but he looked to be the same. That's what it was. And it was such, yeah, it just wrecked my brain. I'm like, I understand science, but I just can't hold these two concepts in my head. <laughs> I was confused, but that's, but it was a good book. I'm on the library hold list for that one. <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll see if I, if I feel... Like a total idiot. Yeah, I think well. it's one of those things that you just have to accept, but, you know. Not question it too much. Maybe you were right. actually being smart. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just like, but logic, You're can we think about things. this? Yeah, my science brain was just, it hurt. Okay. So is it me next? Mm, uh, no, that was me, I think. So, Sarah, you? It's me. Okay. I've got a good one. Best villain. My, I have a tie for best villain. Um Maurice Swift from John Boyne's A Ladder to the Sky. And he is an author who doesn't he, – he writes beautifully but has trouble coming up with story ideas. So he kind of swipes them from other people and then writes these amazing books that he, you know, claims to be his own. And he will stop at nothing to get to the height of fame and fortune in the literary world. He'll stomp all over anybody he has to to get there in all kinds of unbelievable ways. He's oh, like he's a master a manipulator. Oh, yeah. He's like a master manipulator, just operator, slick, you know, that kind of guy. And then the other one is Stephen DeMarco from Tell Me Lies by Carola Lovering. I hope, I hope I said her name right. Um, it's sort of a, 
it's not YA, but it has kind of that YA feel, just an easy read, and it's this girl goes to college and starts dating this guy, and he turns out to be a sociopath, but part of the book is told from his perspective, his being Stevens, and he is the sociopath, and it's just really interesting to get sort of the guy sociopathic behavior side of the story and look back on all of your old dating life and wonder, wow, I wish I'd known all these things way back when. Yeah, I'll put um, the same, I would have the same answer for both of those categories. And it's Pammy from the other, the other woman. And uh, I'm not going to say too much about it. She's the mother. She's the mom. Yeah. And she's really awful. She's really just a truly awful person. And like, as you're reading it, you're just so outraged on behalf of the main character because Pammy's behavior is so egregious. I wonder so, if I could read that book. You tend, you, you, was it the couple next door? No, not the couple next door. It was one of those next door books that really messed with you, Gail. Um, yeah, behind it was the couple doors. behind closed doors. I don't think that was this year. I think I read that last no, year. No, it wasn't, yeah. but I'm oh, just saying, awful. was it the same kind of frustration? Oh, level? no. I mean, that was like sociopathic, crazy person. Oh, um, okay. This one is like, just a mother-in-law who pushes the envelope on behavior and you're like, you're like, (laughs) how could you possibly do that? You know, it's not like, uh, criminal behavior. Um, but say no more. I will say no more for those who want to read the other woman, um, (laughs) which has a twist and I'm not giving that. It says it on the cover of the book. It has a twist. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to get too much into it. I've been, I've been, I've had my hand slapped for spoilers. I was about to say Gail's been spanked. Yes, I have. By who? Oh, uh, one of my listeners, readers is upset. Oh, you got a review or something that. Well, I, yes, I. She went a little too far. They thought. I gotcha. call, okay. I, I identified a, a, a character as a sociopathic husband in a book. And <laughs> oh, whoops. Well, I just did that too. No. It was behind um, the last. I Mrs. think that's Parrish. in the blurb, though, which I felt like was Mrs. apparent Parrish, yeah. so quickly. Okay. Well, regardless, I just got to be careful about that. Okay. Right. So, okay. All right. So, Nicole, you want to do another category? Um, well, I had something to add to this one, oh, which sorry. is um, the the nanny in the perfect nanny um, by Leila Slamani. And I'll just say about this book that the the book begins with. She has just killed two children, the you know the two children that who were in her under her care as a nanny. So she gets most awful villain. And this book was actually based on um, the case in Manhattan of the woman. I remember who, that who killed her yep. charges. I remember reading about that. That was in the New York Post for quite a while. I don't know if I can read that book. Yeah, that makes me. I like to feel confident leaving my kids with a babysitter. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I don't want to burst that bubble. Yeah, definitely. So on that somber note. Yeah. So my next category is book that was everywhere. Is that my category? Yes. So for that, I have my year of rest and relaxation, which I was sort of, eh. I thought you'd like that one. No, mm-mm. it was like yeah. over the top. It was too much. Yeah, it was too much. It was, it's like that kind of humor where it is satire, 
or sort of like parody. It's about this young woman who decides to, you know, she's not getting along with her boyfriend. Her parents have died. She's unsatisfied with her job. So she decides that she is just going to spend the year asleep for as long as she can. And then just like, I guess, wake up and make a decision afterwards on what she wants to do with her life. So it's all about her bizarre encounters with psychiatrists and how easy it is for her to get drugs and the ennui she feels that, you know, I could get the point that it was making, but I just felt it just went to such an extreme that I didn't enjoy it. But it was everywhere. It's on a lot of best books of 2018 lists, yeah, I feel like. I know. It's one of those that I'm just like, really? And her writing yeah. is really good. I mean, I didn't question. It's just not my type of book. It's just not a type of humor that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, American Marriage is also everywhere, but I thought that was excellent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Educated was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. What else was everywhere, you guys? Those would have been my picks. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Educated now that the best books lists are coming out it seems to be topping many of them i think bad blood is everywhere too oh yeah that too which is good well and now becoming is everywhere yep i was gonna say yeah becoming very recently okay um, am i up now yep okay so i have a category of required reading to be an american citizen so books that you have to read so that you truly understand what the world we're living in today is like and I have three books on there um one of which is American Marriage which you brought up earlier as um book that benefited from timing I think is how you had it but um I think you know American Marriage should be required reading so people understand what it is like to be a black man in America um The Leavers which is about our draconian and harsh uh immigration policies and I think that uh, that would be a good topic for people to understand better. And I put Waiting for Eden on there because I think that we, I don't know, without the sort of daily barrage of war news, I think it's really easy for us to forget about the military, forget that we still have soldiers who are serving in the same places that they were serving before. And uh, it's a good, just a good reminder of the sacrifices that people have made. I agree with Waiting for Eden. Yeah, I agree with an American Marriage as well. I haven't read the other one you said. Oh, The Leavers. Yeah, at least No, I, I actually, I tried that. I just couldn't. But mm-hmm. anyway, whatever. But I think I, I would add everything here is beautiful to that list. Oh, um, I read that. You mean mental illness? Yeah. To understand Mental that. illness. Mental illness, immigration. Mm-hmm. I'd add Dope Sick by Beth Macy. And that's nonfiction about the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Which I really didn't know anything about. And it's so much more prevalent than I ever imagined. And it's killed more people in five years than the AIDS crisis killed start, you know, wow. to date. So, yeah, that, I w- that really, really opened my eyes. That's a, t- a statistic for you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, is it my turn, right? Yeah. My turn? Mm-hmm. Ooh, which one am I going to pick? Okay. I think I'm going to go with the book I most identified with, and that is Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. It's a memoir, and she just writes so relatably about marriage and motherhood and kind of 
women in your 30s and 40s and all the things that I'm going through right now. And I just felt like she was normal, relatable, hilarious, not taking things too seriously. And she's I've I've really been drawn to these kinds of books lately and I've started calling them my Women Who Get Women Club. Mm-hmm. And she's my newest addition to that club. Others are Anna Quinlan, Cheryl Strayed, you know, people like that. She, um, when her first book came out, The Middle Place, um, that was about her having cancer at the same time her father had cancer. Yes. And I have not read, that's the only one of hers I have not read. Oh, it's good. I did an online book club for that. And it was, she, it was like her first book. And I was working with her publisher. I can't remember. Was it Algonquin? I don't remember who She's it was. Random House now. Oh, Random House. Okay. I don't remember it been, I don't know if it was, it was then. Been. Yeah. And I did an online book club with her and she did a Q&A with my blog. And it was like, she was just not a name yet. You know, she was very... She's green to this whole thing and no one knew who she was. So I feel like a little, like this little protective thing with her because I feel like I knew her when. She's you great. got her when, yeah. Yeah. Who she's knew? Really great. I think I met her. I don't remember if it was a book signing or something. I feel like know. she'd be great as like a speaker or, you know, mm-hmm. in conversation with somebody. I'd, oh, yeah. I feel yeah, like she'd she's be really awesome good. at that. I got to read that one. And I listened to Glitter and Glue, her other memoir about motherhood, about on uh, on audio, and I think she narrated that, and I liked that as well. Not as much as Tell Me More, but I did like it. Okay, All right, Nicole, you got a category. I would say most beautiful writing and most like to reread. This is kind of interesting because I think we discussed this book before, All Happy Families, and I was f- kind of frustrated with how slowly it was moving. But the writing is so beautiful. I think that there's something in the marketing description of this book that made me look for more than there was going to be here. And when I subtract that element, I find that it's just this, you know, the story of a woman whose father is an alcoholic and, you know, his, he dies on her wedding day, but because of the relationship that her mother has with him and with each of her kids, she makes her daughter go, you know, decides that her daughter is going to go through with this wedding. And she notifies the hospital that they're not allowed to call and interrupt if he does indeed pass, you know, on that wedding day. She's just like, we have things to do. So it's about her relationship with her mother. It's a quiet story, you know, um, how she grew up with basically a privileged upbringing in the Hamptons and her relationship with her father and her first year of marriage. So there is, like I said, there's this little piece where it talks about after her father died, something about bankers descending on the property and how her mother made her sign, you know, sign away part of the rights of her, her inheritance. And so there's like nothing from that piece of the story that really, materializes in a big and dramatic way, but it's just, it's just the story of, you know, the first few years of marriage in the wake of how she got married and her relationship with her parents. I think I would like that one. I love the Hampton setting. I always find that intriguing. I don't know why. And those sort of topics that you just mentioned. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. Like I said, once you take, once I know that here I am for a beautiful family story, as opposed to 
more explicit drama. Right. It's, it's, it's one of those stories that I just keep thinking about. And I just really, it's just like, wow, I just really love reading her writing. And like you said about, you know, her upbringing and, and her relationship with her father and, and, um, her first five years of marriage and how her marriage turned out. It's amazing what publishers blurbs can do for or against a book. Yes. (laughs) As far as setting expectations. Right, right. And I know you want to set the expectation that's going to sell the most books, but you know, right. sometimes when you burn people on it, yep. it's hard I, to How many back times have that. you been burned by, oh, it's the next Gone Girl? Oh, mm. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, should we do one more each, maybe? Yeah, let's do one more each, and then let's get into our, book our other stuff. Okay, good. All right, so I'm just going to go with the most poignant book read. And for me, it was one of my most recent, Cloud in the Shape of a Girl by Jean Thompson. There were just so many passages in there that I read, and they just just hit me in the heart. Like I was like, wow, that was so perceptive and so sad and so true. And I dog-eared so many pages of that book. Um, so that's what is going to be for me. Maybe, as Nicole points out, it's got the benefit of being – one that I read recently, but um, for me, it really stood out. I can second that one too. I feel I I, I picked a different one for this one because you had already picked that one, but I, I feel the same way about it. And I picked Waiting for Eden, which we're going to talk about in a minute, so I won't say much more about that than okay. just saying it's for this category. Yeah, and for my most poignant, I would say bittersweet read was Elevation by Stephen King. You know, like once I was able to put aside the mind bending you know, losing, losing mass, but no weight or whatever it was. Um, it was, it was a really bittersweet kind of read for the holiday, you know, for the holidays, for any time. I really enjoyed that one. Can I put in a little plug for something real fast, which is, um, Sarah's post that came out today of the underrated gems of 2018. Thank you. So <laughs> I've added like 10 of them to my Goodreads want to read list. Oh, awesome. So I just had to, That's I just a lot. Had to, I just had Gail, to 10, 10 is the entire list. I know. Okay. So maybe not 10 because I'd read like You've two You've already read Waiting for Eden. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'd read a few of them on here, but um, there's just some great stuff here. So I just want everyone who's listening to the show to stop whatever they're doing, put the show on pause and go to sarahsbookshelves.com and look for underrated yes, gems. Yes, y'all, everybody do that. Right this <laughs> And it, it's going to be dated December 11th because, you know, we run a little bit yeah. behind, like yeah. a week behind right. with our shows. So um, put the link in the show notes. You had Laura and Emma on there, which that yeah. was such an interesting book to read. I really I think, enjoyed I think, that. And then I just never I heard think, anything else about it. Well, I think so many people got burnt out on that ending. Yeah, and it was a very, I mean, I still don't it's quite know what happened. It's super abrupt ending, right. and it's sort and it's of not just clear like, what happened. WTF. What, in Laura and Emma? Yes. I remember Catherine from Gilmore Guide and I talking about that ending over text. Just, she had a totally different perception of what happened than I did. Well, what does she think happened? Well, I guess we, we can't, can't say that. We can't say, say that. that. And I actually, Sarah, I, I have to I talk point. to you because we have to, I want to know. We'll have to go offline. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I just totally went down a detour. So now it's your turn, Sarah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Last one. I'm going to go with the book that I'm most surprised that I liked. And that's How to Walk Away by Catherine Sinner. And the reason I'm 
most surprised I liked it is because it's the type of book that normally I would find incredibly cheesy. Mm-hmm. It was very rom-com-ish. It mm-hmm. was, had some had some scenes in it that you're like, what? There's just no way. The guy comes running and the boat's leaving. He makes a flying leap for the boat and lands oh, in the yeah, boat. Yeah. The like, end is sort you of know, like, yeah, the this end. stuff just no shot. Like, right. Um, but I could not put it down. I don't know. I just couldn't put it down. Yeah, I read that one too. I actually like Catherine Center a lot. I think she's got some surprising heft to her given that her books are so light. She does, yeah. Yeah. And um, she has a new book coming like out this Jojo year. Sounds like a Jojo Moyes, you know, like the yeah. Moyes It, it was books. so similar to a me, me Before You. Yeah, it, it feels like that. Although um, – Not quite as gut-wrenching. And, yeah. You know, Jojo Moyes is a little bit more um, – has, I think, a little more depth to it. But um, yes, Catherine Center has a new book, Things You Grab in a Fire or something. Yep. Which I think I've got Coming out, on. I think, not till maybe August. Yeah. Hmm. I think I may have that on. I have it. Kindle. I have it. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. I'm going to read it for sure. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, yeah. I liked it. Totally out of my wheelhouse. So my last topic sort of dovetails with yours. Most surprising book I read and also say the funniest book I read is my sister, the serial killer. You know, I do not like books that are billed as humor. I tend to steer clear. But this one is about two Nigerian sisters. Um, One is older, and her sister is constantly murdering her boyfriends, and she's helping her to clean up. Yeah, to clean up, to hide the bodies or whatever, you know. Things that you joke about joke with your girlfriends about, at least my girlfriends, we have that dark humor. They said they'll help me bury a body. <laughs> but <laughs> It's always good to have those kinds of people in your life, right? Good to case. have those kinds of people, just in case, you know, you, life you is... You never know, life crime is, of passion. Life is interesting. <laughs> but, you know, I really like this one. It is funny because it was just taking it to the extreme, but in a realistic way. Like if someone who was very dear and close to you, whom you loved but maybe had some sibling rivalry, you know, some jealousy with, but who you're going to stand behind. And it's just sort of looking at the bonds of family. Her sister happens to meet the doctor that she has fallen in love with and starts to date him. So, you know, the sister knows what could be coming down the pike for him, but it's sort of all about, you know, at what point, if any, do you turn on your family? I really liked this one too. And I also thought it was funny. And I guess, in the blurb for the book, it does say something about it being funny, but I guess I didn't read the blurb. I don't know. I didn't know <laughs> that it was supposed to be funny when I was reading it, and I was like, "Why? I'm so weird. Why do I think this is funny? This is bizarre. What's wrong with me?" But the for thing is, it is can be. You can. The funny thing about it is, it's funny because it can be read literally. Yeah, like there was nothing that was like it's not oh, that would never humorous. Right. It's, it's not. not like, it's definitely dark humor. It's definitely right. like and you know very subtle. Right. But everything is placed in a way that it is plausible. It's not that would never happen. It's just like the woman is a nurse. She has, she has researched how to do this. And, you know, there's, there's this one point early in the book where she's just like, okay, we've hit three. She's killed three men now. So my sister (laughs) is a serial killer. And what, what is the definition of a serial killer in Nigeria, right? That's how she, I think that might be everywhere. Yeah. Now that you say that, of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, what do you do? And what do you do when your sister's hot and you've always kind of been jealous of her and now she likes your crush? And you're the one doing everything right in life? 
Right. Yet she is everybody's favorite. She's, she's the prodigal the, she's son. She's their mother's favorite. She's the doctor's favorite. Yet you yeah, are the she's one so that pretty. is doing all the right things, like has your life in order, is the one everyone can depend on, and she just gets all the attention. Yeah. She's a nurse and the sister, I don't know, she's like always doing stuff on either social media or... <laughs> she does nothing. She doesn't have a she job. She does nothing. She just walks around being hot. Uh, That's like all she does. And killing boys. And killing boys. I loved that book. That was such a nice little surprise. You're right. Like, and it came out in November when, like, everyone's sort of done with new releases. Right. And, like, I was like, ah, fine. I'll pick it up. Whatever. It was great. And it's short. And it's got those, Very like, short. really, like, snappy chapters that makes it yep. super easy to read. And it was just, you know, it's just, like, puts a smile on my face, even though she's she's murdering boys. This is no way, down the, way down the line, but it's going to go on my 2019 summer reading guide. Hmm. That should have come out in the summer, I feel like. Right. But she's getting lots of good buzz around yeah, it. I've is. seen lots she of is. interviews with it. and She's been on some best books of 2018 she's lists. She's been on some best books lists. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever she oh, my decides Lord. to tackle next. I forgot next. to put her on my debuts list. Yeah. What is the matter with me? That was a debut, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You edited that too. You there oh, I did. I forgot where the crawdad sing. I literally, I must have been in my head in the clouds <laughs> when I was writing that post. Lord, so oh. many good ones. So, Sarah, let's talk a little bit about we um, about your special project. She's yes. got an exciting new project coming out a couple of weeks ago. We sat down and we sort of recorded with Sarah our origin story. And a lot of our favorite books for her new podcast. So, yes. Sarah, tell us about it. What's Thank it? You. What's the name? Uh, when does it start coming out? Yeah. What's so the it's format? Called, it's called Sarah's Bookshelves Live. Super creative, but also not complicated for you to remember if you follow me. <laughs> yes. And I, it's going to be coming out in January, airing every Wednesday, and the first episode will drop January 2nd. I do have a trailer up, and it's just a five-minute trailer of an overview of what the show is going to be like and a little clip from an upcoming episode. The format is going to be – it's just me hosting, and I have a guest on every single week. And we'll talk a little bit about that guest background, do some book, random bookish talk, and then we'll go into my guest book recommendations. And my guest will share two old books they love, two new books they love, one book they don't love, and one new release they're excited about. And then we'll end every episode with a little lightning round type game, and it's called Rate It. And I will share five bookish things with my guest, and my guest will rate each thing either one star or five stars, just like how you'd rate a book. And Except for ep- she doesn't let you have any, not only do you not have any half points Yeah, no, anything, no, no. You don't there's get like two, no three, middle. or four There's stars. no two, three, or four. No. It's just basically love it or hate right. it. Love it or hate it. It was that's, pretty fun. It's really That's fun. all we have room for. <laughs> love it or hate it. And um, each episode will be somewhere between 30 to 40 minutes, except for the episode I recorded with you girls, because I had two of you on there. That'll be a slight bit longer. And then occasionally I'll do a special episode like a new release preview. I'll do a summer summer books episode. I'll do a best books of the year episode, that kind of stuff. And those will be sprinkled throughout. But you can more or less expect the format of a guest sharing their recommendations, old books, new books, don't love and new release. 
Speaking and of really podcasts excited. too, and I will share what is what to read next podcast because we were both yes. guests on that. We podcast. were yes. So you should definitely check that out. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put that links to both our podcast and Sarah's podcast in the show notes. She's also had some other good guests. She had some. Um, she had Catherine from Gilmore Guide to books. She had Tina from TBR, etc. And she also she does like um, she's she's done some marketing people from. I think she had one from St. Martin's on oh, that's last show that I listened to. So it's always interesting to just hear. I love hearing different people's book picks, you know. I missed that one. I'll have to go back to that one. All right. Yeah, so. so I'm really excited, and I hope you all listen. And I had a lot of fun talking to you two. Well, we love being on, and we're very excited to become regular listeners. Yes. Awesome. So look for that Wednesday, January 2nd. Yes. And now we... And before that, though, you can listen to a trailer. Oh, yeah. Listen to the trailer. And you'll be able to subscribe before January 2nd. So please do that. Sarah's Bookshelves Live. Yes. So now let's get into our book club discussion. Um, We read Waiting for Eden. Gail, will you give us a quick description of it? So we won't go into anything spoilery while Gail gives her description. But after she gives her description and we start to get into what we thought of the book, then all bets are off and spoilers um, spoilers will abound. So keep that in mind. Sure. So Waiting for Eden is, um, it opens with a soldier who has been very, very badly injured in Iraq, returning to the United States to a burn recovery center in San Antonio. And... Um, after that, it kind of moves up about three years, and it's about this man, Eden. He's the injured soldier, and he's lying in this hospital room and really has been basically unconscious for almost three years. And his wife is the last remaining person who is still visiting him. His family's basically given up on him, but she's still dutifully coming to visit him. And she leaves to go spend Christmas with her daughter at her mom's house, and while she's gone he wakes up or he regains consciousness somewhat. And so the rest of the book is about um, what happens after he wakes up. It's actually told from the perspective of his um, comrade who died in the same accident in which Eden was injured. And it goes into the head of Eden lying in his bed in the hospital room and talks a little bit about the relationship between Eden and his wife, Mary. It talks about the relationship that the friend had with both of them and gets into kind of the complicated loyalties and sort of uh, disloyalties that got them to where they are. So I think that's all we should say now. Um, if that sounds intriguing to you, I urge you to pick this book up. I, it's, it is not a long read, but it is beautifully written. It is a devastating book, but in the best way. Um, and we'll get into more about that, but, um, I think that's probably a good, a good stopping point for people who want to read it before they hear the discussion. Anything you guys want to add to that? I would say it's not for everybody. It's emotionally devastating. Like you said, but it's right. definitely not a book for everybody. All right. Well, let's talk about the book. Um, I have some questions about it 
and I've actually been going <clears throat> back and forth with Catherine from Gilmore Girls, not Gilmore Girls, Gilmore Guide this <laughs> week. Um, cause yeah, we, we've had the same conversation, I think, about, yeah, the, about the, her decision, right? About her decision. So okay. the main sort of topic of discussion, I think, is Mary's decision at the end of the book, which is not to allow Eden to die, despite knowing, confirming from Eden that he wants to die. He figures out a way to communicate using his teeth. He can tap out a code. He taps out the word end, which is something he was trained to do um, when he was learning about being in captivity. And uh, if a soldier got to a point where he couldn't handle the situation he was in, he could tap out end and, and they would remove him from that situation. Um, he, he figures that out. He taps out end. There was a nurse who hears it finally and figures it out. So Eden has made it pretty clear that he wants to end his life. And yet Mary won't let him do it. She won't let him go. So why won't she let him go? Was that the wrong decision? Should she have had control over him ending his life? Um, was it her guilt over you know, uh, having a child out of wedlock that is preventing her from letting him go for, for some reason she feels like she'd be killing him again. I don't know. Um, is, uh, was she very, you know, is she a still angry at him for deploying and is this her way of getting back at him? Like, what do you think the motivation she had for not letting him go? I think, and, and this really, I was looking for this theme when I was sort of rereading it for this discussion and highlighting any area of the book where it talks about her feelings about letting him going versus, you know, staying alive and all that. Um, I personally, by the end of the second read, thought that she says at one point, I gave up on him once. And that was when she decided... I want to, I'm going to, right, to get pregnant by Eden's friend, who is the one who died in the, in the accident. And he's the one that's like in the space between heaven and earth and narrating part of the book. And she gave up on him, got pregnant by his friend, was trying to pass the baby off as Eden's, but something happened where it messed up her plan and Eden found out it wasn't his baby. And, but, he, but then he turned around and said, I don't want you to get rid of this baby. I want this baby. It'll be my, you know, basically adopting the baby as his own. And at that point, she kind of comes around and is like, look what he did. I'm never giving up on him again. I forgot how it was that he knew it wasn't his. Oh, so she had an accident at the gym. She was pregnant, didn't eat, taught a bunch of gym classes, fainted at the gym, and was taken to the emergency room. And I guess there's some sort of regulation on a naval, on an uh, military yeah. base where like they have to notify the spouse and so they notified the sp- Eden that she was pregnant she had not told him she was pregnant yet right oh so the timing he knew it well, couldn't have been his correct and she was still trying to like and I think he had some impotency problems so yep. they hadn't right been able yeah. she was still trying to lure him to her bed correct and she hadn't been able to yet. pass this off, off you know, his. pass this right right so he, he basically she was just was running running out of time, but still had a little bit of time left until yeah. this accident happened. Yeah, got it. Before, I mean, I think one of the things that helps or will be interesting in this conversation in terms of shaping it is in respect to 
not giving up on him. I mean, too, I, I felt like she really did love him. I guess. Which was which was a bizarre kind of love. But do you feel like he accepted her child or do you feel like he did it in a way to spite her? What do you feel like his motivation was in saying, we're going to have this baby? Was there anything punitive in there for you? I think he felt very bad that he couldn't give her a baby. Um, he had the impotence from, you know, coming back from his tour in Iraq. I think he felt guilty that he was leaving because he didn't have to go. That was a voluntary deployment. And so I think he felt like, well, at least the least I can do is I can have her keep this baby and then I can adopt it. Cause maybe he wasn't sure he would ever be able to do it. Or maybe he thought he was going to die. Um, but, um, I think also by giving the baby a name, like he named her the constellation that's on her tattoo. And I think by him naming the baby, it was like a sign that he, of acceptance. I feel like a little bit also, it was him peeing around his tree. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I wasn't sh- sure that, yeah, I think I agree with you, Sarah. I wasn't as sure that his motive was as pure, especially when he just leaves everything to his daughter as opposed to the mother. Well, and also maybe he know you know, he knows if he's impotent, he may never have a child and maybe he wants a child. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Just personally. And like, That's this, you know what, here's a child, this one can be mine. Do you think he knew who the I father I thought that was? was a possibility as well, but I, I felt like it was magnanimous to say, okay, you want this so much and I'm going to try to deal with it. But I think it the the rub in it to me was when he said, you know, well, for, first of all, it's it's Eden's friend whose name I can't remember. Is he even named? I don't know. I don't think he's named. Nope. Um, he leaves his money to her. His life insurance it's, policy. It's his life yeah. insurance policy. Like it said that he has a feeling. It's almost like he has a feeling that Eden won't, but Eden leaves it for. No, his he bo- knows that Eden didn't. Right, right. He saw he, it. he sees the paper and sees, so he's, he leaves it. The friend so, leaves his policy to marry Eden's wife when he sees that Eden didn't leave it to her. I felt like he wanted a child. You know, I mean, I think that was a goal, too, of their marriage and probably something that you do. But I just felt like there was a little bit of a rub in him not leaving the money directly to her. Who, of course, I mean, of course, she's going to take care of the child with the money. But I think the fact that he does it at a remove, what I just it just felt like sort of like him getting back at her a little bit. Do you think I, Eden I can knew see that. who the father was? Yes, he knew. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you think he didn't, Gail? Um, I, I don't. I, I think I didn't think about it until now, and so I didn't really have an opinion. I would not have I, remembered had I not just just read, read this like last night. Okay. <laughs> but no, he there. Are, places where it's acknowledged that he did know who the father was. I mean, I knew he knew that his friend like had a crush. Was into her. Was into her. Yeah. Had a crush on her. Yeah. Um, my one complaint about this book, my one complaint about the book is like, I hate books where like people basically like have sex once and get pregnant. Like, especially when they're trying. To. <laughs> I'm like, it just it doesn't work that way. Doesn't always you work just, that way. You just hop on and... <laughs> I mean, just, but it, so it, it did juxtapose this with, like, somebody who couldn't get pregnant. Although the reason they couldn't get pregnant was not the re- not regular infertility reasons. Right, right. 
But like, I just, I don't know. I'm just, you know. But sometimes it does happen like that. Sometimes it does, but it becomes a very convenient plot thing when authors are like, okay, I need this person to get pregnant. And it, it happens like in this, you know, one quick time. And sure enough, it takes, like, I don't know, that this sort of annoys me sometimes. It seems a little simple. Like, it's a little, like, unrealistic. I never thought about that while I was reading, but now that you say it, yeah, totally. <laughs> right. I mean, she she could have manipulated the situation to have, you know, orchestrated their encounter at a time that she knew she was more likely to get pregnant than others because she was clearly in charge. I don't think she really had any feelings for the friend. I think she just was using him. As a sperm donor. Right. And if she was going to do that, I think because she, I mean, I think that her love for him, she said she falters and I feel like she falters in the way that she chooses to get pregnant, but never in her love for him. I agree. So it, it was like, it couldn't, it couldn't have happened multiple times because I don't think she had it in her to do it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I felt like she was in sort of the flashback parts. I felt like she was always pining for Eden and he had just kind of almost fallen out of love with her maybe. Well, yeah, that's why I felt like he kind of, you know, the fact that he didn't leave her the money just showed that Mm -hmm. she, in her head, it wasn't a betrayal. Right. In her head, it, it wasn't a betrayal because he just wanted to, she just wanted the baby. Yeah. And she wanted the baby for them. But I don't think that he got over the fact that she betrayed him. It, when he did not mind that his friend did. Because, you know, he had already said that. Right. You're only a man. You're only human. So he took her betrayal purpose. Per, purple. Ugh. Um, He took her betrayal to heart. I'll just say a different word completely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying he to took think her be- of what, tr- trying to say that myself. I'm like purposefully, <laughs> like- right? He took her betrayal to heart, and he, yes, he was going to take care of whatever child they had because that was family, and and he wanted that. And and I think in his naming her, I totally agree with you, Sarah. He was like, "This is mine, right? This is my family." But I don't think he ever forgave her. No. I don't think, and it was, there was something in the book, like, again, during one of those flashback periods where he says to his buddy, you know, this marriage is over, like, I mean, he acknowledges that, like, you know, it's, it's done, I don't know what's here, I don't know what, even, you know, if I go away, if I redeploy and then come back, like, I don't, and that's, I think it was about the life insurance stuff, like, I, we, we both know this is over, he said said something like that. At what point? Does this damage occur? Do you think that this is just, I mean, he was already having impotency problems. There was already some friction about whether he was going to deploy again. Do you think, I mean, how responsible is the military for the breakdown of their marriage? I think highly responsible. I think highly responsible as well, but I don't think the book paints that picture. If you, because there's a, another portion where it's talking about the relationship, explaining like, here's what happened. These two wanted to escape their small town. And when you're, when you're on the run from something, it's easy to fall in love with the person you're running with. Then when the running's over and, and there may not be anything substantive behind that, there's nothing left. 
So it was basically painting the picture of they were only really together because they both wanted to get out of their small town. And then once they got out and they got situated wherever they went, they kind of lost all the sparks. I don't know if I agree with that. I think, um, I mean, certainly that was the, the kind of the spark of their relationship, really, that they were on the run together. But I got the sense that they did love each other and the way they, you know, you throughout the book, the way he remembers her smell, that soap and water smell and she thinks about his cooking and yeah, I don't think that she was, you know, looking to get romantically involved with somebody else. I think she loved him, but I did think, I do think she was very angry at him for deploying again, which she didn't have to do. And she was frustrated by the impotence and the inability to have a kid. And so that, you know, is, is obviously a lot of stress on a marriage. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't say they didn't have a good foundation. And I mean, the fact that she sat by that bed for three years waiting for him, you know, waiting for him for something to die or wake up or whatever it was. You know, that's kind of the theme of the book, this waiting for Eden. Like right. everyone's waiting for him. His friend is waiting for him on the other side. She's waiting for him. Um, he's you know, waiting. <laughs> he's waiting for something. Um, right. Do you- Yeah, I think I would agree with you, Gail. I felt like, I felt like maybe the purpose of that line was to say these two people falling in love, I mean, it could have either, either easily happened or not happened. But it did happen, and it happened because it was whimsical. But I did feel like they felt something for each other. Yeah. No, I think I felt, felt like something. he was. Ch- but I do think I the think, feelings were starting to go. Like, well, I think for his part, they weren't sustainable after his first deployment. Like, I think that he that got back be. and yeah. just was really frustrated with his impotence. She was trying to work through it, and he just didn't have it to even figure out like what's going on with me. How can I? You know, whatever fleeting it was, you know, whatever fleeting basis there was for their relationship, it seemed like she was able to build it more, but it seemed like he was just so damaged from what he seen. I mean, because in the beginning, you get the scene of them in the helicopter, you know, right. with this young kid who's looking, who, you know, has injuries that are embarrassing, but survivable, but then he dies and you think of, you know, how much pointless, how much wasting of life do you see? How much potential is it that's squandered? You know, like, right. because people are looking somewhere else. Like the nurses are looking at something that looks like it's more important than it is. So it that sets it up in like, like. That killed me. Like that moment, I just, I, I, I've audibly, when I was reading, went, oh, like. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so just the fact that that had, you know, it just sets it up for like all of the the wasted potential, the pointlessness, the grimness of what they experienced and what they saw um, when he's coming back from his second deployment. And you can imagine that it must have been like that in the first, which is why it's like his zest to live or to create a family or to have any motivation is like, he doesn't have any motivation to connect with his wife. Right. The the other thing I was going to say on that point is there's a nonfiction book called thank you for your service by David Finkel. And I read this years ago and it's basically a montage of four, four or five different military families. And what happens when the soldiers come back uninjured physically, but then all Mm -hmm. the mental problems. And all the PTSD, right. 
Right. And and just how it's so difficult. Like there's the level of services that are provided to these people is just not much and they don't get sympathy from they don't you know you come home physically injured your injured your injury is visible you're kind of lauded as this hero that returned from war but when you come home fine physically but you your personality is totally changed you become kind of violent you might have a a traumatic brain injury which is really affecting your personality your behavior and it just destroys these families and it, it really would make a great companion read to this one, I feel like. I'm going to have to read that. <laughs> yeah, because I it's felt good. like Eden, when he came back, he was essentially missing already, which is why right. I was just sort of like, do, do you know, I, I could stay here, but I don't have any motivation to really do anything here. So I might as well go back. And I can't stay for you. And the one thing that maybe I could possibly stay for to have a child, I can't even accomplish anything and I don't want to do anything about it. And then the whole like over there you're doing things that are so important and so the consequences if you mess up are so dire and then you come back and it's like everything is dull and you just can't settle back into your life because the things that people worry about here – you just can't even have a conversation with those people after what you've been through. That's kind of what this thank you for your service book goes into. And that, and that, that whole theme of even, even, even if you get, you know, you're giving something up when you go to war and you get physically injured, but you know what? Every single person that goes is giving something up because you are forever changed and can't ever be the person you were before you left. And that's hard right. on like the families that are back home. So I'm really curious as to what you both of you think about the structure, why the novel is structured the way that it is and why it's told the way that it is. And by that, do you mean like having the narrator be sort of this, not quite having dead, the but narrator kind of dead, be, like, well, the narrator's dead. He says yeah, he's dead, but he's stuck in this place that why tell it that way? Because I think you needed, um, you needed him in order to get into the heads of all three of them. You can't really get into, if you had an omniscient narrator, it would be, I think it would feel weird because you wouldn't get any personal uh, view. You can't really get into Eden's head because his consciousness is so limited. And I think with Mary, I mean, I think in some ways the author really wanted to keep us guessing about Mary's motivation. I was about to say, I mean, telling it through his perspective, and I feel like I want to ask you, how do you think that he felt about Mary and what he had done? Because I felt like his read of her was so cold. You know, with Eden, we, we get all these scenes of like what a great guy he was and who he was, you know, jump shot, I think is his nickname. Base jump. Yeah, base jump. What he was known for doing and, oh, he liked to cook. You know, I think we get a a much less warm view of Mary. I agree. And I think that there was a, a point when he was sleeping with her, the friend, I mean, that he's like I looked into her eyes and it was there was nothing there. It was everything mm-hmm. and I, and and I realized that this was a calculated strategy, blah blah blah, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I am a non entity here. Right. He knew that he was serving a purpose at that moment and 
that was all she needed from him. Right. Yeah, I think you needed that narration structure in order to sort of be removed from characters when you needed to, get into heads of characters when you needed to. And I think the author was very angry at her. Yeah. It was, It would. you know, as I think about it, it's just, uh, in the first sentence, he says something like, and what Mary did, you know, so because it's almost like because she was purposeful in doing what she loved, I mean, in doing what she did, to get something she loved and to save someone she loved and to save her marriage because she had that, um, she took the agency to do that. It seems like he let her off the hook less for it. I wonder if, um, you know, he's obviously the author Ackerman had did five, I think five tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so has an extensive military background. I mean, I, with how emotional this book was and just how powerful and and gut-punching the language he used was, I mean, is this based on, like, some spin on something that happened to a friend of his or, like, that he's seen before personally, be to, you know? It would be good to know. Gail! I know. I, I'll maybe you can ask him! Yes, we need to figure out her motivation. I'll, I'll try to get to the bottom of that if I can ever connect with the author of this book. Um, all right, so we're going to wind this down, but um, I think we all really liked this book. And it's definitely rich in food for thought. Yes. And just like I'm going to give you a preview. Like- it's my number one of the year. Wow. Oh, wow. That's huge. I sat down to do my best books of 2018 list last night, and I thought going into the list, I was like, you know, I don't really have a number one this year. I have a, a like probably six that are on par with each other that are up there, but I don't have like a – last year I had an obvious number one, and that was Hearts Invisible Furies, and that was partly because it was so amazing and also partly because my overall reading year was just not that great. So it had no competition. But this year there so was So you had a much better year. Oh, I had a much better year this year. But I, once I sat down, I'm like, God, that – Waiting for Eden is the one that just really affected me the most. And, wow. and how long ago did you read it, Sarah? When did you I read, read this? it? I think in September the first time. In September. And it was the one book I wanted to reread. And it's short, so hooray. <laughs> There's um, that. I just every single word just did so much. And I love yeah. that. I love spare writing that mm-hmm. really just is powerful and like says there's three little words but man those three little words just hit you yes it's my and favorite I would kind of agree writing. with you and reiterating that it's definitely not for the faint of heart it no. is graphic yep but definitely worthwhile and, it's and lots of questions it's to really explore bleak. it's pretty it's really yeah. <laughs> really grim yeah, and there was is. somebody who commented on my review on my blog and she goes something like i hated this book it was an cold little awful book something like that i can't remember and that's accurate as well and, and yeah and i told her i was like i totally see that this book isn't for everybody <laughs> i personally just i like to get be gut punched i like to feel something yeah right. well that's kind of the point the right point is to feel something it's not supposed to be like it doesn't happy. have to be all sunshine and rainbows no that's the point all right well i think we've uh we've We've thrown out some possibilities. So if you want to pick up this book for your book club, yeah, drop us a line if you have any thoughts about it. Or pair it with a nonfiction. 
Thank yeah. you. You should definitely. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you should pair it with a nonfiction. Maybe you should pair it with like the bachelor. One day, one day oh, in December. I think totally. it's a fascination. <laughs> yeah, it's a headache and Advil or what do you call it? Advil alcohol, and alcohol. Alcohol and Advil. What did I pair? It with? <laughs> oh, I paired it with Sadie, which is a YA book, which actually was true crime. I mean, it wasn't that fluffy, but it was just an e- it was an easy read. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being with us once again. Remember to check out her podcast, Sarah's Bookshelves Live, um, on Wednesday, January 2nd. Of course, you can today just go and listen to a trailer. And we'll be back to you probably in the new year with some new, you know, some more book talk. So until that time. Oh, and happy birthday, Nicole. <laughs> happy <laughs> birthday, you. Nicole. And thanks for having me, y'all. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you and we'll we'll it's dream always up a reason fun. to have you back. Yes, and vice versa. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com and you can find me, Gail, blogging at Everyday I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com, and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time.